0: regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed.
1: This is the Second Amendment, and this is The Gun Guy.
0: Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, bang, bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIPC.
1: And finally, welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on ninety-three WIBC. I got to tell you, I enjoy the uh, IU Network's uh, coverage of IU football and uh, and even basketball even more. But man, fifty-two to seven loss. There's only so much you can say about. Getting your ass beat 52 to 7. But, but hey, uh, they found things to talk about, and uh, God bless them, and they're doing their best to do good radio. In the meantime, hey, we're here for the Gun Guy Show. And i got to tell you, I'm excited about the show tonight because um, I'm welcoming back a, a sponsor that uh, is near and dear to my heart, and that's Pinnacle Firearms uh, in Carmel. Uh, these are friends of mine. And, listen, I have a lot of friends in the firearms community uh, all over the country, um, and certainly right here in Indiana. But but these folks are at the top of the list because I go way, way back. V.A. Atkins is the owner at Pinnacle Firearms. V.A. and I go back longer than either one of us care to admit, probably 40-plus years. Um, we've, uh, we've had a few cocktails. We've ridden a whole hell of a lot of miles on Harley-Davidson's. We've shot a whole bunch of guns. And I was thrilled when V.A decided to open Pinnacle Firearms in Carmel. It's at 598 West Carmel Drive. And, and I got to tell you, this is exactly the kind of gun shop that we need. If you care at all about the Second Amendment, there's a lot of important things you need to keep your eye on, you need to pay attention to. And that is that what the, the, the anti-Second Amendment people are trying to do to eradicate our rights. And listen, I'm really active, as you know, in the legislature both trying to promote our rights with Pro-2A uh, bills uh, every year. I've got more coming up this year. And and there's a lot going on in the legislature. There's a lot going on in the media. There's a lot going on in social media. And there's a lot going on on the regulatory front. One of the things that's going on on the latter, on the regulatory front, is the ATF has declared war on the mom-and-pop gun shops. They've decided, and this is this is from the top down, there's no doubt in my mind, this is coming from the Biden administration right down through the rank and file of the ATF. And listen, if you don't know much about ATF, ATF, um, in terms of the people on the ground, you know, they're the the bureaucrats, the lifers, the people who've been around forever, the appointed uh, lead positions. But then there's the rank and file. They're divided up up essentially into two categories. There's enforcement. We're well, the folks that carry guns, and they're the door kickers. Uh, they're the folks you who know, will show up with body armor and guns and, and, and do what they need to do. But then there's industry operations. And industry operations are the folks that they go around, they do inspections, and, uh, and, and, and their role historically has really been to be an interface between that local gun shop and the agency, the ATF as a whole. And, and really to try to facilitate that gun shop doing everything the right way. The, the, the bureaucracy, the paperwork, the administrivia, a phrase I like to use, is unbelievable for a gun shop. You've got the 4473 forms people have to fill out. If you're an NFA shop, you have your SOT, Special, special Occupational Tax, meaning you can handle uh, NFA items like suppressors and short-barreled rifles, and fully automatic firearms and whatnot. The paperwork is ungodly. It's unbelievable. It's a hell of a burden for anybody, especially a local shop. And the ATF Industry Operations has historically done their best to try to keep people who are running shops on the right side of the law. And to help them and to say, hey, let me, let me tell you, this is how you fill this form out. This is how we want your forms organized. This is how we want your records maintained. And it's not that way anymore. Since the Biden administration has come into office, and we saw a little bit of this under the Obama administration, and it's it's taken off under the Biden administration. They, they their job they're they're being told. I'm talking about industry operations at ATF, because I've heard this from multiple sources, including from some ATF agencies agents themselves. They've said, "Man, this job is not the same job that I had a couple three years ago." My job now is to find an excuse to put the local gun shop out of business, is to try to tag them off base on some ridiculous administrative error, can say, oh, well, clearly you don't deserve to have a federal firearms license, revoke their license, then they're out of business. So local gun shops have that pressure. Then they have the pressure of the big box stores. You know, we all know the big boxes, the, the national chains, some of them have ranges on the premises, some don't. And hey, look, if if, if if they're operating in the industry, I want to support them too. I'm glad they're there. I'm glad, I'm glad that we have them. And the selection can be really good if they have a lot of buying power with the distributors and the manufacturers. They they can they can help keep prices down across the across the whole industry. And that's all good. So nothing against the big box, but but when you're that local gun shop. That's another source of pressure that you got to contend with, as well as just having the operating budget to you know to advertise and get your name out there. And so, at any rate, I, I get, and listen. I, I have relationships with a lot of the local gun shops. Indie Arms, you've heard me talk about Indie Arms a lot. I've taught a lot of classes at Indie Arms. They've got a beautiful indoor range there, and uh, and and those are friends of mine as well. Pinnacle Firearms in Carmel which I'm welcoming back as a sponsor. These people have been friends of mine forever, and I'm thrilled that they're open. Uh, uh, Parabellum Firearms in Avon. I've, I've taught some classes out there. Same thing. Local people, good people, we want to try to keep in business. But it, but, but Pinnacle Firearms uh, has come back as a sponsor. And, and listen, I really want you to give these people a hard look. Uh, you can check them out at pinnacle-firearms.com. They're really a one-stop shop. If you need... Firearms, ammunition, accessories, that's where you can go. If they don't have it, they can find it and they can order it for you. And, and but what's exceptional, though, because I have people all the time contacting me on social media, calling me at the office and saying, "Guy, I cannot find a gunsmith in my area. Where the hell is there a guy? I need some work on my guns. I, even if you work on your own guns. The people that know me will laugh. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty damn good with a gun. I'm pretty damn good marksman about any kind of gun, I'll go in and I'll be able to shoot it pretty well and, and, uh, and not embarrass myself, but I'm the world's worst gunsmith. I'm lousy at working on guns. And so the people at, at, at Pinnacle are used to seeing me because I'll walk in there and go, okay, I screwed this up, I don't know how to fix it, or I broke something, or this I've got an old part, or something. And they always chuckle, and then they fix it because they have two certified gunsmiths on-premises too. Most places don't have any, or they have one that, you know, stops in once a week. Even some of the big boxes. I've called them about gunsmithing they go, yeah, well, we got a guy that comes by on Wednesday, and you can drop it off, oh shoot, it's Thursday, you can drop it off, you know, and a week from now, our, our guy will take a look at it. Okay, and that's better than nothing. But how about two certified gunsmiths right on the premises that are available when you walk in, and Refinishing and serocoding. I posted a picture on social media, both on Twitter and on Facebook today, of a, a Remington 870 Police Magnum 12-gauge shotgun, SBS meaning short-barreled shotgun. So it's a, yeah, it's a NFA item. I, I was trying really hard to be the first kid on my block with a short-barreled shotgun because Indiana, even though you could register them as legal under the National Firearms Act at the federal level, Indiana prohibited so-called sawed-off shotguns until either 2013 2014 right in that time frame and so when when the legislature uh, uh, passed the the bill that repealed the law that criminalized short barrel shotguns i said oh man i want i to register mine i want to want to file a form 1 in the nfa process to build a short barrel shotgun that's a shotgun with a barrel less than 18 inches and so i did and I filed mine electronically, like on at, at right after midnight, twelve oh one, the day our statute went into effect. But in the meantime, I, I shoot this gun a lot. It's great fun to take to the range, and I kind of beat the hell out of it. So I took it to Pinnacle, and they did an, an urban camo, sarcoate, on this gun that will just knock your socks off. And I posted a picture of that on both uh, Twitter and. Uh, and on Facebook. So listen, um, if, you, if you're if you in need of some gunsmithing or refinishing, seracoding, refinishing, whatever it might be, guns, ammo, ammunition, check these folks out. I'm thrilled that they're my friends. I'm thrilled that they've come back to uh, the Gun Guy Show as a sponsor. And we had a little bit of a short segment here because of how ridiculously long the IU postgame coverage went. Uh, but I wanted to just give a shout out to these folks. And I really want you to go in there and find them. They're at 598 West Carmel Drive in Carmel, a um, little bit uh, north of Carmel Drive. you gotta, you got to turn up on Clark Street, and they're in a strip mall right there, but easy to find. We're checking them out online at pinnacle-firearms.com. They're good people. They're the reason uh, that uh, that we have the Second Amendment surviving them and many, many more in the industry just like them. So uh, I hope you give them your support, and I hope you give them your business. Right now, we're at the bottom of the hour, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: And welcome back. I'm Guy Rilford on The Gun Guy Show on 93WIBC. We're thrilled that you're with us. You now I mentioned there's a lot of different fronts that we got to fight when you're you're fighting for second amendment rights and the legislature is one uh i mentioned you know on the regulatory front there are many many others but the other you know is in the media in particular when we've got liberal politicians who are out spewing nonsense in the media and you know one thing i and i get you know i i'm I'm often overwhelmed people uh, will say really nice things to me i'll see people out in public uh, where people send me messages on on social media and whatnot and people say really nice things just say you know they're glad that that, that the Second Amendment has a voice out there you know and 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 I still I, I still applaud WIBC uh, and uh, formerly Emmis, um Now, Radio One, uh, you know, allowing me to have a platform it's kind of a big deal. A lot of people will will say, dude, I'm surprised you're on the radio. I'm surprised they let you, you know, talk about what you talk about because the media tends to be so incredibly uh, negative, uh, adverse toward the Second Amendment. So it is. It's good to have a voice and it's good to be able to, to fight back against some of the garbage that we see out there. And on that front, we we saw some of that last week from a, a Democrat candidate for mayor in Muncie. And this knucklehead, Jeff Robinson, is a Democrat running for for mayor in, in, in Muncie. And uh, apparently he's currently on the Muncie City Council, which doesn't say a lot for the Muncie City Council. But you may recall there was a a, a, a shooting and everybody was called a mass shooting and admittedly a whole bunch of people were shot there's one one person killed and 17 people wounded. So that tells you a couple of things there's probably a very small caliber handgun probably somebody with a 22 if I had to guess just that many people wounded uh, without any more fatalities and 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 thank God for that. But this is a, a, a party where, where apparently a whole bunch of people were intoxicated and a couple of guys, and I am told, and I've had more than one person tell me this, who's from Muncie, who said both the people involved who have now been arrested, who were involved in actually pulling the trigger, being involved in this shooting, were both felons, meaning they cannot carry a gun. They cannot legally carry a gun. Yes, they cannot carry a gun under constitutional carry. They couldn't get a license to carry before constitutional carry, and they can't carry today with so-called permitless carry. So both these people are prohibited. But in talking about the need to prevent or limit so-called gun violence, a term that always makes me roll my eyes. Why don't we talk about fist violence, or knife violence? But gun wow, wow. Now we can demonize the Second Amendment. That's exactly why you know it and I know it. But in talking about the need to reduce violence and mass shootings in particular, this guy Jeff Robinson, running for mayor in Muncie, is is quoted. Now this is this is not a quote from him. This is a statement by Wish TV. So in fairness. We don't know exactly what he said because this isn't a, isn't a quote. This is something that's being described as far as what he said to Wish TV, and I was going to make that distinction because there are times when 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 I do an interview or somebody sees something that I that I've broadcast and they say, "Well, Relford said," and then and there are no quotation marks, and a lot of times I have a real problem with what it is. That they portrayed me as saying. But what well, Wish TV, and they're our news gathering partner here at WIBC, and they generally do a nice job. But what Wish, T- Wish TV said that this mayoral candidate in Muncie said is that he said, he said, city officials, and this is a guy running for mayor, keep in mind. So he's talking about why he should be elected. He said the city should invest more heavily in community policing and focusing on hotspots under his leadership. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely true. I'm sure the Republican candidate up there, a guy named Dan Ridenauer would agree with that. Then he said, in addition, city officials need to involve Muncie's youth since much of the crime involves them. Yes, crime prevention always makes sense. No problem. But then he had to go here. Robinson said he also blames the state's permitless carry law for allowing too many people to carry guns and use them. Now, with a big asterisk next to all of this, because we don't know what he actually said versus what Wish TV says he said. But let's assume, for the sake of the discussion, that he was accurately quoted. He blames the state's permitless carry law for allowing too many people to carry guns. Let's stop there. Well, the context of what he's talking about is a mass shooting where two felons were carrying guns. They can't legally carry guns. They cannot legally carry under constitutional carry. And I'm so tired of, of constitutional or permitless carry being mischaracterized in the media. And it's intentional. And you hear it right here in Indianapolis from, unfortunately, both the Democrat, Joe Hogsett and... The the Republican, put that in quotes, Jefferson Shreve, blaming permitless carry for crime in Marion County. Yeah, only law-abiding citizens can carry a gun under constitutional carry. If you're a felon, you can't carry under constitutional carry. You get caught with a gun under constitutional carry, under the new law, you go to prison. If you're under a domestic violence order of protection, you can't carry a gun. You couldn't carry before, you can't carry now. Constitutional carry made no change in that. You get caught with a gun, you go to prison. And there are a whole bunch of additional categories of people who are prohibited possessor. So, blames the, the state's permitless carry law for allowing too many people to carry guns, that's a lie. If you couldn't carry a gun before, you can't carry a gun now. And then he goes to the next step, according to Wish TV, and says... Allowing too many people not only to carry guns, but use them. Hold on. Did the Permanentless Carry Law, the Constitutional Carry, change the law on homicide? Aggravated battery? Attempted murder? The justified use of force? Did, did, the, did, did Constitutional Carry have any impact whatsoever on when you can use a gun? Absolutely Not. If it wasn't on the radio, I would have put a different word in there between absolutely and not. Absolutely not. And so I don't know whether this Jeff Robinson running for mayor in Muncie is just an idiot or if he actually knows what the law is and is intentionally mischaracterizing but, hey, Muncie's within our listening area. Anybody up there on, on on this guy's campaign or anybody else who wants to call and take me on on this issue, hey, 317-239-9393, you call right in. You say you're with the Robinson campaign and you want to take me on on this issue about what Robinson said about constitutional carry, and we'll put you right on the air, 317-239-9393. Yeah, we had a little bit of a production glitch there i didn't didn't know that was coming but hey we're, we're heading into a break and that's fine by the way you want to join the discussion on anything we've talked about local gun shops the need to support them uh, constitutional carry, anything else you want to bring up. We love taking uh, uh, calls from our listeners, and we've had fabulous calls the last couple of weeks. It's really been good. 317-239-9393. You give us a call, we'll put you on the air. You can join the discussion. Right now we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And we're rolling now, man. We, uh, we were delayed there a bit by a really long post-game show after uh, IU got dismantled by Michigan. And listen, I don't think anybody expected IU to go into Michigan, into the big house. I've been there. I've seen IU play in Michigan. I've seen Oregon play in Michigan. My son, my middle son, uh, went to Oregon and uh, was actually scheduled to play football out there. And then blew an ACL, ended up not playing not playing football, but uh we're still Oregon fans. In fact, there's a really good Washington, Oregon game going on right now. But anyway, I've been to 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 the big house a number of times. Saw Notre Dame play Michigan there when uh Rocket Ismail had two uh kickoff returns for touchdowns. Big afternoon. Anyway, I don't think anybody expected IU to go in there and win that game. And the hell they started off there up seven nothing. And then they just collapse. So uh, as you heard uh, for quite some time in that postgame show, IU's got some problems that they need to address. And, uh, and I hope they do. You know, the world is a better place when IU is at least at least competitive on the football field. And, hey, a lot to be excited about uh, IU basketball coming up here as well. In the meantime, I'll tell you what. Some people have called on the phone, which we're always excited about. Let's go to our pal E-Buzz. And uh, we're going to talk about a little bit about the ATF.
0: Hey, okay, the ATF and, uh, go back to the beginning of the FBI, they were really just lawyers starting out. They need to stay in their little closet and only come out when we have explosives that need to be investigated and Bonnie and Clyde.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I hear what you're saying, Buzz, um, uh, I really do. And I, if we cut you off there, I apologize. Uh, I think we're going to have an issue with the phone line. Um, but, but listen, uh, make no mistake, and, and you hear this all the time in the context of the, the prosecutions, the multiple prosecutions that are going on against uh, President Trump, and, it, and it's completely consistent with what I talked about, about what the ATF's doing trying to run mom-and-pop gun shops out of business. Is is that regulatory agencies, including our law enforcement agencies, have been completely weaponized by this administration? And listen, I, I'm sure somewhere in history we can find an example of where uh, Republicans have done something like this before. Although none come to mind, I got to tell you that the Biden administration has completely weaponized the federal law enforcement community and in, in, in to to advance their to advance their political agenda, to defeat their political opponents, and to attack us who choose to exercise our rights under the Second Amendment. There's no question about it. I see it all the time. And, and, and frankly, and, and I'll get into this when we have more time, it, it's all a result of this rise of the, this, the fourth branch of government that our founders never intended. Our, our, our founders never intended for the regulatory agencies Within the executive branch, they have the amount of power that they do. They can legislate. They can pass their own rules. They can interpret their own rules, which is a judicial function. And then they can run out and enforce them, which, yes, that is an executive function. They have all three powers, executive, judicial, and legislative, right there within their those agencies. The founders never envisioned that. Separation of powers is the whole based concept behind this system of government that's what makes this system of government work and the supreme court's allowed it to happen now this most recent supreme court is trying to pull back on that a little bit trying to rein that in just a little bit but that's a huge problem and when our regulatory agencies including the look what the atf's done they'll just change rules oh no Oh, no, you 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 have a gun that we told you was legal 10 years ago because it had a pistol stabilizer brace on it. But now we changed our mind. Now it's illegal and you're a felon. That's the legislative. They changed the rules. That's not what they're supposed to do. In the meantime, we're coming up on the top of the hour. It's time to take a break. we got people on hold. We will come right back to the phone lines when we come back. In the meantime, thanks so much for listening to the Gun Guy Show. We'll be back after the top of the hour. This is Guy Relford on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it, but make sure you join us live at wibc.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: And welcome back to our number two of the gun guy show here on 93 WIBC. And I'll tell you what, there is going to be a big case uh, heard in the Supreme court here sooner than later. And, uh, and this is, is going to be incredibly important uh, to uh, Second Amendment rights in the United States. And I'm talking about us versus Rahimi. And the background on this case is a little troubling and and I'll go into that. But what this does is this this arises out of the uh, the case, uh, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin Supreme Court case, that came down, uh, here uh, last year, last summer, summer of 2022. And what Bruin did, and you've heard me talk about this before, but that, that decision was, was huge, not just because of its immediate holding in terms of the effect it had on the parties, but in terms of how we decide Second Amendment cases in court, and in particular how we decide what's constitutional and what's unconstitutional in terms of gun laws. And what the Bruin case said, it was addressing the New York's New York State licensing, handgun licensing system process law, where it was a May issue system, meaning some government bureaucrat got to scratch his chin and consider who had a sufficient need to carry a handgun. And if this public official decided you didn't have a sufficient need to carry a gun, you didn't get a license. So you could be a completely law-abiding citizen and you could, you know, fill an application and just say, well, you know, I want to be able to defend my my family and myself when I'm out in public. Nope, not good enough. I live in a high crime area. Nope, not good enough. I've been the victim of of a crime in the past. Not good enough. They essentially said you have to be subject to an, an immediate and ongoing and existential threat against you at the time in order to get a handgun license. How many, how many people can prove that to some government official? And what the Supreme Court said and, and, and appropriately said is, hold on, when you're going to divide up law-abiding citizens— between those who can exercise a right and those who cannot, then it's no longer a right. Now it's a bureaucratic privilege bestowed by the government, and that's not how the Second Amendment works. And so they found that law to be unconstitutional. And that's great if you lived in New York or any other of the May-issue states. And there were several, Hawaii, California, Maryland. It goes on from there. But even more important than that, because we already have a shall-issue system for licenses and we have constitutional carry in Indiana. So we're covered here. Yet, even though I live here in Indiana, I was still thrilled with this decision. And the reason is because of the test that the Bruin Court came down with in terms of how you decide what's constitutional and what's not. Because the test that courts have been using for years, and the Supreme Court had never addressed this, about whether this was okay or not. It really arose out of lower court decisions. But what the Bruin Court said, and this is Clarence Thomas writing this opinion, it said, no, this is easy. You look at the the, the text, the history, and the tradition of the Second Amendment and regulation under the Second Amendment. Text, meaning what, what's the amendment say? What does it mean? Well, the Heller case in 2008 told us an awful lot. about what the Second Amendment means, what it covers. That it, it ended the debate. If you ever are on social media, I, I have people refer these things to me all the time or they'll tag me. They'll go, Guy Relford, come in here and, and and fight this battle for me. And you know what? I rarely do I have the time to go do that. Occasionally I do. And okay, I'll go respond. But the fight you hear all the time, well it says a well-regulated militia. That means that it has to be regulated by the government. And if you're not a member of the armed militia, meaning today the National Guard, the Second Amendment does nothing for you. And people want to make that argument on social media. And people are out there fighting this. People say it's well settled. This only refers to the. Militia. It starts off a well-regulated militia being necessary for the security to the security of a free state. So there you go. If you're not in the militia, you have no Second Amendment right. And even if you're in the militia, you can be highly regulated in terms of your right to keep and bear arms. No, the Supreme Court in Heller laid that out and said, no, well-regulated just means efficient, well-equipped, well-trained, like a well-regulated clock keeps accurate time. And the militia in 1791, when the Second Amendment was ratified, was everybody. It was all able-bodied adult males. Today, it would be all able-bodied adults. The militia was everybody who could get called up to help protect this country, to fight right next to the standing armor if, ar- army if necessary, but in the meantime, our right to keep and bear those arms that we may take with us to go participate in the, in the defense of this country or to stand up to a tyrannical government. In the meantime, we could have them in our homes as the people having the right to keep and bear arms for self-defense. For hunting, if you hunt, that's great but for all those essential purposes that we have firearms in this country. And the Heller laid all that out. That, that's a dead issue. We don't have to debate that anymore. So the text is the first test under the new test that, 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 that was handed down by the Supreme Court in Bruin. And then it goes on to say, what's the history and tradition of regulation of Second Amendment rights in this particular area? Whatever this particular law that we're addressing, that we're analyzing in terms of whether it's constitutional or not— What's the history and tradition of analyzing or of regulating Second Amendment rights in that area? And Supreme Court in Bruin looked at it and said, Well, the idea of some law-abiding citizens being able to conceal or to carry a concealed handgun and others not doesn't have any support in the history and tradition of the regulation of the Second Amendment. And here history and tradition, I'm not talking about going back to the Brady Bill in nineteen ninety four or the Gun Control Act in nineteen sixty eight. I'm talking about going back to the founding. And even looking at old English law that a lot of our law is based on. Now, it's history and tradition going all the way back to the origins of this country and the origins of Second Amendment rights in this country, including the ratification of the Second Amendment in 1791. And unless a particular law, if it clearly implicates a Second Amendment right based on the text and the meaning of the Second Amendment, then the government, whoever's trying to support this regulation, has to come in and show that it's consistent with a history and tradition of regulating gun rights in that particular area. And in Bruin, they said, it doesn't meet that test. So it's unconstitutional. More importantly, it said, this is the test that shall be applied by courts across the country in looking at whatever gun law we're talking about. And since that time, and I predicted it at the time, I said it on my show multiple times, I said it on Hammer and Nigel multiple times, I said it on television... I said it a lot, and I said this is gonna. This is a game changer when it comes to Second Amendment rights in this country. And since that time, at all different levels, laws have fallen by the wayside as unconstitutional under the text history and tradition test of Bruin. One of those that came out of Texas and went up to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is the federal circuit court that it, that that takes appeals from federal courts in Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi. And in that context, the Fifth Circuit said the law that says that if you have a domestic violence order of protection issued against you, you can't possess a firearm. Now, importantly, that doesn't mean you've been convicted of a crime. It just means someone applied for a domestic violence order of protection, what some people call a restraining order. Here in Indiana, we call them domestic violence orders of protection. If you have one of these issued against you, you can't own a gun, even though you may not have ever been convicted of any crime ever. You haven't had all the due process associated with defending yourself in court in a criminal case. Someone just successfully went in and got a domestic violence order of protection against you. Now... That could mean you're a very, very bad person, and you're a very violent person, and someone needs to be protected from you. It may mean that, or it may not, and that's really the point. And so the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals found that to be unconstitutional under the test in Bruin. That now has gone up to the U.S. Supreme Court. We're We're going to see an oral argument in the Supreme Court sooner than later. I have concerns about this case, which I'll go into when we come back after this break. Right now, we're taking a break. We've got some people on hold. We'll go to the phone lines as well. Give us a call. Join the discussion, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. And welcome back to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. As I mentioned before the break, this Rahimi case, U.S. versus Rahimi, is uh, has been accepted, so it's in the Supreme Court. We've got oral arguments set coming right up next month, November 7th. So the lawyers will go in and, and argue the case. You can you can listen to that video, listen listen to the audio is a better way of putting it, I suppose. Um, and 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 often and this is a little bit like reading tea leaves you can you can get a sense of where the justices are leaning based on the questions or comments they make from the bench and a lot of times you really have to be careful about that because sometimes a, a judge or in this case a justice may be on your side in an appellate oral argument and listen I've handled A lot of appeals here in Indiana, and I'm admitted to practice before the Supreme Court. I've had one case in the Supreme Court. But a lot of times justices may, may be asking you a question not based on the fact that they're against you, but because they want to raise a contrary argument and just see what your response is. So it sounds like they're challenging you, but they may not really be. Other times it's pretty damn clear they just disagree with you, and they're trying to poke holes in your argument. So you can get some indication, but that's, that's a little bit dangerous. Sometimes it's so abundantly clear that you walk out of there pretty much knowing how it's going to go. So I'm fascinated to hear what this oral argument is. And listen, if, if you ask the quote-unquote conservative justices, I hate to call them that. I hate to call them that because that's not how the system's supposed to work. A, a Supreme Court justice is not supposed to be partisan. They're not supposed to be conservative or or liberal. They're they're supposed to be judges and be impartial and decide everything right down the middle of the fairway. But we know that's not quite how it works. And based on their rulings and and dispositions, uh, before they ever get appointed to the Supreme Court, a lot of times they they get put in one category or the other. In applying that test to the current court, it's five to three or four and a half anyway because Roberts is incredibly unreliable. Six to three is what I meant to say, or five and a half. So we'll see how this goes, but here's why I'm concerned. If, 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 if you ask the, the right-leaning judges, justices, and again, I hate to use that term, this, this, the, the pure fact of, is there a long history and tradition of regulating firearms in this country where someone not convicted of any criminal offense should lose their gun rights? I, it may go a certain way. But here's why I'm concerned. It's because this Rahimi individual, the guy subject to this domestic violence order of protection in Texas, who appealed all of this and then led to the fifth circuit declaring that law unconstitutional is not a good guy he's got a history of violence and he's had domestic violence orders of protection issued against him by multiple women after have been having been accused by multiple women of having been very violent with them and i'm sure that's being emphasized in the Supreme Court arguments, in the briefs and and in the oral argument that we'll hear on November 7th, and the court could could easily, and even some so-called conservative members of the court could go to a place where they say, well, if there's substantial evidence that a person is violent... Or we'll be unsafe with a firearm. We can deprive them of their gun rights. There's a history and tradition of regulation in the U.S. on that level, on that point. But in doing so, I'm worried about what opinion they may come out with that, for instance, will implicate red flag laws. And listen, we have a red flag law right here in Indiana. I have challenged the constitutionality of our red flag law in court. I did a two-to-one opinion in the Indiana Court of Appeals. The Court of Appeals said it was constitutional. At the time, I thought it was unconstitutionally vague and was an unconstitutional taking under the Fifth Amendment and violated Second Amendment rights in Article One, Section 32 of the Indiana Constitution. I had two out of three judges disagree with me on that. But the the, the decision... I'm concerned in the Supreme Court in the Rahimi case may be influenced by the fact that Rahimi himself is just not a good guy. And an awful lot of people, even people that are very pro-2A, can look at Rahimi and say, this is a guy that we ought to be able to take his guns away from him because he's a violent guy. He's got a history of hurting women. Now that is not supposed to influence Justices, or any judge for that matter, there's a reason why the statue of Lady Lady Justice always has a blindfold on. They're not supposed to look at the particular facts when deciding issues of law. And a pure issue of law ought to be just that, a pure issue of law. But lawyers, and I've been a lawyer now a damn long time, I just hit 40 years here this last year, which boggles my mind. But for all 40 years I've been a lawyer, I've heard other lawyers say a very common thing among lawyers, and I've said it many times myself, which is bad facts make bad law. Because if you don't think judges or justices will be influenced to some degree by looking at the facts of a particular case, I think you're a little bit naive. It's not the way it's supposed to work, but human nature is human nature. and so. We'll wrap up that discussion and we'll change the the, the topic. And I think we've had a, one or two people drop off the phone line. I apologize for that. I didn't get to you sooner. We'll take a break here at the bottom of the hour. But this bears watching. And I am a bit concerned about what the Supreme Court could do because of the bad facts of Rahimi that may influence us in a negative way. Because everything's going our way right now since the Bruin decision last year, the court's Across country, are doing the right thing on a lot of 2A laws. A lot of these are falling by the wayside, and 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 so called assault weapon bans and high capacity magazine bans, and the you know and and the federal law that says uh, you have to be 21 to buy a handgun. Now this law is saying if you're under a domestic violence order of protection, even though you've never been convicted of a crime, you can't possess a firearm. Lower course. Again, this is the only one that's reached the Supreme Court on all those issues, but and there are many others. Those are all fallen by the wayside. Those are all being held unconstitutional. That's a big deal. That's a very big deal. And we'll see what happens with Rahimi. Oral argument. Keep an eye on it. November 7th, we expect a decision June or July of next year. So we got a little ways before we'll see an opinion, but it's all bears watching. And after November 7th, when we hear that oral argument, I'll have a lot more to say on that. In the meantime, join the discussion, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it, but make sure you join us live at wibc.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7.
0: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: And welcome back to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. Glad you're with us. Um... You know, I don't watch a lot of late night television anymore, man. Uh, back in the day, I uh, I loved uh, the Tonight Show. Uh, Johnny Carson. I mean, that was just just something you did every evening. It was awesome. Um, and even David Letterman, you know, he was from Indiana and I always thought he was funny. I thought he was hilarious when he was like a weather guy here on local news here in Indianapolis. But, uh, you know, he made his w- way up through the ranks and, and, you know, and then he just kind of got liberal and old and grumpy and, and, and it just wasn't much fun to listen to him anymore or watch him. Uh, but in the meantime, it's just, it, it's just so incredibly tedious and it's not entertaining. I mean, Saturday Night Live. You know, Saturday Night Live, man, when I was in, in high school, college, a young adult, you didn't miss Saturday Night Live. It was an event. With Belushi. Oh man, when Steve Martin would come on, this was hilarious. You just couldn't you you dare not miss it because that's what everybody was gonna be talking about the next day. And Saturday Night Live. I mean, who the hell cares? But at any rate, Jimmy Kimmel, there's Jimmy Fallon. I can honestly say, I, since Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon have been on, I have not watched a single episode of anything they've ever aired. There have been snippets here and there that somebody will post on social media or for whatever reason get covered in the media. And I may watch 15 seconds or so here and there, but I just I've just tuned out. But, but something that has, has been making uh, its way around social media, and, and, it's, and it's brought in some commentary, and a couple of people asked me what I had to say about it, and this is where Jimmy Kimmel, I think just last night or within the last day or so, was making fun of Steve Scalise. Now, Steve Scalise is a U.S. representative, And he withdrew his name from the current fight over who's going to be the next speaker after Kevin McCarthy was voted out. And I talked about this part of it quite a while on Hammer and Nigel yesterday. I I subbed for Nigel on Hammer and Nigel yesterday, and I've been saying since all that unfolded that whatever you have to say about Kevin McCarthy, and there's a lot of criticism that could be legitimately directed toward Kevin McCarthy. The, the problem I have with Republicans' process here is they didn't have a backup plan. They had no idea who was going to be the speaker after McCarthy. And so what they've done is they've completely shut down the House of Representatives because they can't do business. They can't pass anything. They can't vote on anything until they have a speaker. And so they, they did all this without really a plan. And that's not defense of Kevin McCarthy. But in the meantime, Steve Scalise was the guy who put his 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 name in the hat, and a lot of people, uh, including me, have admired Steve Scalise. If you recall, Steve Scalise is the guy who was horribly injured when a Bernie bro, yeah, a supporter of Bernie Sanders, I had Bernie Sanders all over his social media, huge Bernie supporter went to a baseball game where U.S. legislators, where, 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 where U.S. lawmakers there in the Washington area were playing baseball, and Steve's Scalise was on that team. And his goal in going that day was to murder as many Republicans as he possibly could. So you got a liberal, gun-hating Bernie bro show up at this baseball game, and, and, he, and he's shooting, I forget, it was an AK or an SKS, some kind of semi-automatic rifle, and he's shooting as many people as he can. Well, he horribly wounded Steve Scalise. Steve Scalise almost died, spent a long damn time in the hospital. But he fought through that, and he came back to work. And a lot of people were thrilled with that. Well, Jimmy Kimmel had something to say. About Steve Scalise, I or I suppose it's in the context of him withdrawing his name from consideration as far as the election to be speaker among the Republicans in the House of Representatives. But here's what he had to say about Steve Scalise. He's an interesting
0: person, this Steve Scalise. He was one of the biggest gun supporters in Congress. But then in 2017,
1: remember, he was shot and seriously wounded at a congressional baseball game by a man carrying a legally purchased assault rifle. And when he recovered, he came back to Congress. He knew that nothing like what happened to him should ever happen again. So as his first act, he introduced House Resolution 2481 that required all baseball players to carry (laughs) AK-47s
0: in their protective cups. And, um... It's an inspiring story. They'll make a movie about it
1: one day. So isn't that fascinating? So the, the Jimmy Kimmel audience just loved that. You heard, the, you heard the laughter. What do you have to say about that? Here a guy gets horribly wounded by a liberal, someone who hates the Second Amendment. Steve Scalise supports the Second Amendment. He gets shot very seriously. And what Jimmy Kimmel has to say about it is to mock Steve Scalise for still being pro-Second Amendment after having been shot. Listen, here's how this goes more often. When, when, when a liberal, when someone who doesn't respect or support constitutional rights, when they're the victim of a crime, those are the people that tend to wake up and say, you know what, people ought to be able to have the right to defend themselves. The passing laws, you know, it's all, there's already a law against murder. Jimmy Kimmel. There's already a law against shooting a sitting congressman. There were all kinds of laws that were violated that day. Uh, Apparently, you're one of these idiots who thinks that passing one more law is going to get a lunatic to suddenly start complying with a law. The way you keep people safe is to allow people the ability to defend themselves. And that's why many more people become supporters of the Second Amendment after they become the victim of a crime. I can't tell you the number of people who have come to take my gun classes. I used to teach a ladies-only basic pistol class. They used to just fill up. It filled up faster than any other class I ever posted and taught. And invariably, what these ladies would, would say to me when they walked in the door before we started class is, well, you know, I, I had something scary happen to me. Well, you know, I had somebody try to attack me. Or I had somebody, in fact, attack me, assault me. And I decided that was never going to happen to me again. You know, I never supported guns or gun rights. And I decided from now on, I'm going to have the capacity to defend myself. That tends to be the way it goes. In fact, there was a joke, kind of tongue-in-cheek. There's nothing really funny about it. But a joke that I've heard and told for years, decades is a, a, a liberal is just a conservative who hadn't been mugged yet. And there's a lot of truth to that, as you just heard me describe. But the fact that the, the liberal would take someone who was horrifically injured, shot, and be so dense, so tone deaf, as to not understand that that motivates people to have the capacity to defend themselves, to have adequate security. To be able to provide that adequate security for themselves. Because evil exists in the world. No matter how many laws you pass, you can ban every law on the planet. Excuse me, ban every gun on the planet. You can pass every law. you, You can pass the California wish list. Guess what? They still have mass shootings in California. They've had more mass shootings per capita, more mass shootings total in California in the last 10 years than any other state. And they've got the whole wish list of gun control. Why? Because evil still exists. You can't push a magic button by passing a law that make all the guns in the world disappear. It doesn't work that way. Even without the Second Amendment being there to protect gun rights. But it really, it really I think it bears bear, bear some discussion, and the reason I raise it, Jimmy Kimmel would mock someone who continues to support the Second Amendment after having been shot. In fact... That's the way it tends to work, Jimmy. And here, Steve Scalise didn't need any lessons. He was always a very, very strong supporter of the Second Amendment. When people become the victim of a crime, they understand how important it is to have that capacity, that legal capacity to defend yourself, defend your home, defend your family. And that's what the Second Amendment is truly all about. Right now, we're at the three-quarter hour, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back for the last segment here of the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. A little bit of an abbreviated version, uh, given the length of the postgame show after the IU-Michigan debacle. At least if you're an IU fan, you have to describe it that way. Um, but, uh, but hey, we're glad for the time that we had. In the meantime, Dave has been on hold forever. I think he gave up for a little while and uh, called back in. But Dave, thanks for your patience, man. Uh, thanks for calling the Gun Guy Show.
0: I appreciate you taking my call. You're my favorite show, without a doubt, on the radio. Oh, I appreciate You're just that. You're the best. Oh, I appreciate you. My question's kind of, it's two parts. Uh, 49 years ago, when I was a mere 21 years old, I worked at Hensley Sporting Goods, uh-huh. and there was a twenty two Magnum in the showcase, and I thought, I'd just love to give that to my big brother for a Christmas present. Surprising. And the owner told me, he says, well, that gun's not leaving this store unless the transfer of so he said, "I'll sell it to you, and then you can give other at the Christmas party." And I said, uh, "Okay." And then we got to come back. Ah. If it's an immediate family member—mother, father, brother, sister, wife, son, or daughter—you don't have to transfer it over. I don't know if he was right or wrong, but now, and I want to know if that he was right or wrong. But now my brother's 84, and he told me in his will he's leaving all his firearms to his favorite grandson. And that's my second question. When that happens, does his grandson and I have to take those the two uh, pistols that I've given him in my lifetime and get them transferred out of my name into to his grandson's name?
1: Yeah, uh, Dave. Thanks for calling and thanks for your patience and waiting and and for your kind words. It means a lot. Um, yeah, there's a lot of confusion in this area, and so let me let me lay it out. First of all, we don't have gun registration. In, in Indiana, and there's no uh, registration at the federal level unless you're talking about uh, NFA firearms, you know, like suppressors and machine guns and short-barreled rifles, et cetera. So for your your typical rifles, pistols, and shotguns, um, there is no registration. Now, there is in some states, but not in Indiana and not at the federal level. So people say, well, this gun's in my name. Uh, there's really no such thing in Indiana. Um Yes, there's a record that you bought a gun originally from an FFL. But, for instance, like I'm carrying my uh, little Sig uh, 365 right now. And if if producer Carl said, hey, guy, I really like that 365. I want to buy that gun from you. And I know Carl's not a prohibited possessor. He's totally fine to possess a gun. I can sell that gun to him. And as long as I don't know he's ineligible to buy his own gun from a dealer, that's totally legal. I can also buy a gift, uh, excuse me, a gun as a gift for someone else. Like, I've bought my wife a gun for a Christmas present. I used my own money. I didn't take her money and go buy a gun for her. That would, that would mean I lied when I filled out the forty-four seventy-three form that says uh, I'm buying this and I'm the actual transferee. But I used my own money intending to give that gun as a gift to my wife. Totally legal. And it says that if you read back through the, the pages on the form, it's totally legal to do that. So when, when you bought that twenty two Magnum, I'm assuming it's a handgun because they make that in a pistol as well, and you bought it with the intent to give it to your brother as a gift, that was all totally legal and there was nothing else you needed to do. There was no registration, nothing like that. Now, assuming your your uh, his grandson that he wants to leave this to is of age and and and, and there's exceptions for parent and child this is a grandchild so a little different but assuming they're they're of age he can leave that gun to his grandson and that's totally legal as well So I'll tell you what, that wraps us up for this version of the Gun Guy Show. Um, And we hope you enjoyed it, even the abbreviated version just a bit. Uh, We love our callers, man. Always call back every week. Right now we're wrapping it up. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it, but make sure you join us live at wibc.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7.